Welcome to Love Rules, the radio ministry of Roxbury Presbyterian Church in Boston. My mom, Liz Walker, was Boston's first African-American television news anchor, but her most important job is what she does right now at RPC, preaching the good news about God's love. The Bible says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How does that work? Join my mom now as she offers us Love Rules from Roxbury Presbyterian Church. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Love Rules. Today's message, The Glory List. And our text is from Genesis, the third chapter, the first through the ninth verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And so it begins. The bucket list is one of my favorite movies. I know it's an old movie. I hope you've seen it. I love Jack Nicholson and I love Morgan Freeman. The plot is pretty interesting. Nicholson plays a corporate billionaire who meets Morgan Freeman's working class mechanic in the hospital. You see, these two men have nothing in common. They just end up in the same room, but they both face terminal illness. While sharing this hospital room together, they decide to make a bucket list taken from the term kicking the bucket. They leave it and do all the things they have ever wanted to do before they die. They decide it's important to just live out this bucket list. Now, you have to be in the right mood to think about this kind of stuff because nobody really likes to think about dying. I've conducted enough funerals to believe that on top of the pain and the sadness, there is an element of surprise. Even if a person has been very old or very sick, there's still the tiniest bit of surprise when someone dies, as if we didn't realize it really could happen. You see this a lot when celebrities die because the television news reporters are so upset and people are are so surprised. You get the feeling that people didn't see it coming. It's always a shock, even though the reality is more and more to the contrary, that celebrities die all the time. We all die. We hold fast to the belief that the rich and powerful are not supposed to die. But most of us fear death. Despite the fact that it is the only thing certain about life, we tend to view death as something taboo. So that's why we, you know, use terms like kick the bucket and and buy the farm. (laughs) We don't like to think about our own mortality. We don't want to call it what it is. It's death. We've been talking a lot about the meaning of Lent, why we begin this season with Ash Wednesday. What are we supposed to think about it? Ashes are burned. They're spent. They're black and gray, charred and worthless. They're universal. All things, when put into a fire with enough heat, will turn to ashes. 
And you find this text in, in Genesis, the third chapter, where uh, God says to Adam and Eve, you know, from ashes you came and ashes you will return. Ashes remind us that all physical things are temporary. That's the bottom line. God formed us from the dust of the ground. Think about that. There's nothing spectacular about the chemical elements that make up our physical bodies. Man was a lifeless shell of dirt until God brought man alive with his breath of life. And when God removes that breath, our physical bodies turn back where they started. Of course, there is much to concern ourselves within between, not the condition of our physical bodies, but the condition of our spiritual bodies. So if you go to Genesis and you trace your way back from 319, well, you'll hear this text about ashes. You'll remember how we get to God's statement. That's what I read. It's about sin. You know, that's why there's death, because of sin. Now, whose fault was it? I don't know if it was Adam's fault or Eve's fault, and there's many books written on that. Was it the man or the woman? But what happened? We disobeyed God, and disobedience always results in consequences. But who thinks about consequences when we face the pleasure of sin? That's what I said, the pleasure of sin. Now, preachers love to talk about the consequences of sin, but we're being less than honest if we don't also admit the reason we sin is because sin is pleasurable. What the serpent was doing here was offering Eve something pleasurable in this fruit. You know, you don't have to go that way. You can go this way. So pleasure is a big part of why we sin. Hebrews eleven twenty four. by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. If he had remained in Pharaoh's family, royalty would have brought Moses great wealth and prestige. But Moses had a heart for God, and he became more interested in God's long-range plan than the short-term pleasure that he would have gotten by staying in Pharaoh's family. Adam and Eve, well, maybe they were naive. Maybe they didn't have enough information. Whatever, they fell for the short-term pleasure. Sin is pleasurable. If it were not, we would not be addicted to it. The problem is the pleasure is temporary. The addiction is not. I love chocolate. And that, for me, is a sin because I always eat too much. That Pleasure is temporary, but the addiction, oh my goodness, if you put a, a pound of chocolate in front of me, I'd probably eat it. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to experience pleasure. Pleasure is very much part of God's plan. Look at nature, the beauty of relationships. Look at sex. That's all about pleasure created and defined by God. So God is very much in the pleasure business. God wants us to have pleasure because it's an indicator of what we consider valuable. Preacher John Bloom writes, pleasure is the measure of our treasure. I love that. Pleasure is the measure of our treasure. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. So here's the rub. Our pleasure must line up with God's pleasure. If it doesn't line up that way, it's sin. We have to remember our purpose is to glorify God. We are here for God's pleasure. When you desire things that are not of God, well, you know it. Sin is never really a surprise. We know 
what we should and shouldn't do. There's something innately in all of us that can tell us when we're doing right and when we're doing wrong. The real danger of seeking earthly pleasures is they become gods to us. We begin to worship them like that chocolate. So let's go back to the text. Adam and Eve are offered all the enjoyment of life in the Garden of Eden as long as they're obedient. You can do this. You can't do this. You see, there are boundaries in God's world. There's a standard you need to live by. You may ask, well, why would God say this? Well, why do you say it to your children? God knows better than we do. He is the creator. But here's the interesting part. God always gives some choices in this. He gives Adam and Eve the freedom of choice. I offer you many pleasures, but they are attached to my rules. You must decide whether you want to live by my rules. The tempter slithers in. Adam and Eve opt for the pleasure, the temporary pleasure, and the rest is history. But here's the amazing part of the story. Humankind is tempted into sin, disobeying God, seeking the tempter's pleasures, but instead of sending them straight to hell, rebuking them in judgment, God's first words bear all the marks of grace. Where are you? He should be condemning us. Instead, he gives us the opportunity to see that we are lost. Where are you? Where are you? Are you living like you're supposed to live? Where are you? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Where are you? Are you giving all you can to God? Are you apologizing for your wrongdoing? Are you loving your neighbor? Where are you? Remember, you came from ashes, and that's where you headed if you don't surrender to Christ. So you need to think about where you are. And that brings us back this Lenten season to the bucket list. The two characters played by Nicholson and Freeman face their own mortality and they start doing the things that they put on their bucket list. They begin a round-the-world vacation. They go skydiving. They fly over the North Pole. But somewhere in the midst of all that exploring the world and seeing the most spectacular sights and doing the most enviable things, they are confronted with where they are where they really are. It's as if God is saying to them, where are you? And it forces them to think about the next question. Because when you really begin to look where you are, you have to ask where you're headed. And this Lenten season, this is the season to think about it. Where are we and where do we want to go? To dust or to eternity? I'm a list person. I'm always about the business of figuring out what I need to do. Do I treat my neighbors well? We can try to behave better. I can just make a list on and on and on. But an even more helpful way to look at this might not be so much about what we should do, but where we want to end up. We are here for God's glory. God promises us future glory. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So instead of putting together a bucket list about what we should do, I'm suggesting today that you put together a glory list. A glory list. Look at the benefits of seeking God's glory. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain. God will direct you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on God. Oh, yeah, you can put a bucket list together and you can say, I'm going to do this better and I'm going to do this better. But here's the rub. If you put a glory list together, 
thinking about the benefits of God's glory, then you might want to behave better. You might want to love your neighbor more because you'll realize where God wants you to go. We need to understand that God is all about glory. And if we have our glory list, we'll be about that too. Be blessed, everybody. Thanks for joining. Thank you for tuning in. Roxbury Presbyterian Church is located at 328 Warren Street, right in the heart of Roxbury. Come worship with us on Sundays at 11 a.m. This is a listener-supported program. We invite you to partner with us and learn the many ways that love rules. Visit us on our website, RoxburyPresbyterianChurch.org, or call us at 617-445-2116. Love will reign if you let love rule.